You're listening to the Forrester Technopolitics Podcast, inspiring commentary and intelligent insight from experts in the thick of it. Hi, everyone. This is Mike Gualtieri, your host of Forrester Technopolitics. I'm delighted today to be here with Sarah Rotman Epps, who is a senior analyst at Forrester. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Mike. Thanks for joining Technopolitics, uh, and let's just get right into it. I mean, you have this whole series of research that you call Smart Body, Smart World, which is very intriguing, um, especially since you mentioned things like Google Glass, the Nest Home Thermostat, the Nike Fuel Band, two of which I am a consumer of. But can you describe what do you exactly mean by Smart Body and Smart World? Absolutely. So, so a lot of People talk about these types of devices as the Internet of Things, but I don't think that that adequately describes what's new and disruptive about them. So sensors aren't new. What's new is that they're being placed in devices that open up two new domains of information that we never had access to before, in particular the physical, our physical bodies and the physical environments that we inhabit. And so by opening up these new data streams, it, it, we're just starting to imagine the possibilities of the services that could be wrapped around this data. But the idea is that, so the promise is that um, these services will help people make uh, more informed decisions uh, by harnessing data about the context of their physical bodies and the physical world. Okay, yeah. So, so smart body, you mean sort of sensors that collect. So I have the Nike fuel band on that records my steps um, and then kind of uh, using the accelerometer, which is the center. And, and smart world, uh, that would be, uh, I guess that would be my Nest thermostat, uh, which detects motion. Yeah, both of those devices are definitely in this, um, in, in this trend. Um, some of the other sensors we're seeing people put on their bodies or, or device manufacturers put in their devices include not just accelerometers, but um, actigraphy sensors that sense your sleep quality, galvanic skin response that senses your, your sweat. So, so that Nike Fuel Band knows how, how, far, how far you walked, but it doesn't know how hard you were working, like if you were going up a hill um, if you were, um, you know, working really hard, if you were stressed out when you were doing it. Um, but things like heart rate sensors and that galvanic skin response like they have in the basis smartwatch starts to give you that, that fuller picture of what's going on with your body. And, and where are we with these sensors? I mean, I know a lot of these sensors are, are starting to come out. They're on the market. You can buy them. Are we in the very beginning? Are we in the middle? I mean, where do you think we are in the cycle where everyone has these things, or, or how many people have them now? We're at the beginning. So it is hard to collect data about this trend from consumers because um, these products are marketed in different ways. Some of them are very sports-specific. So if you have, you know, a, a, a GPS sensor for your bicycle or a GPS running watch, people might not think about that in the same way that they think about uh, a Lark sleep sensor Um a vibrating, a vibrating wristband alarm clock. You know, they're really kind of two, two, two totally different categories of devices. The best that we can surmise is that it's just a, a, a few percent of U.S. consumers that have these devices, and the U.S. is really leading here. Now, when we do supply-side research with the companies that are making the components that go in these devices, 
Um, we've gotten estimates as high as 20 or 30 million wearable devices that will ship this year, um, according to the, the suppliers, and that's, that's a global number. So, you know, it's hard to say. I, I think it's pretty clear we're at the beginning where, you know, what I'm seeing as an analyst is a lot of really promising products. A lot of them don't necessarily deliver on the product promise that they're um, putting forward. So the Jawbone app, for example, I've been testing for a while. I've now gone through two different up bands since they re-released the product um, for manufacturing problems the first time, and they've they've just bricked on me. And for those and for those that don't know the jaw the Jawbone up, it, what what is that? Is that like Nike Fuel Band counts your steps or? In, in fact, the guts of the Nike Fuel Band and the Jawbone Up are the same. They both use a motion axe accelerometer. Um, so they're tracking your, um, your, your motion during the day, and the, the Up also tracks your sleep quality at night if you want to use it that way. And the Up has a unique feature, which is an idle alert, which you can set for every, say, 15 or 30 minutes to vibrate so that you know you've been sitting for too long and you need to get up and stretch. Hmm, cool. Um, what, so adoption is not big right now, but it's certainly bigger than it was. It, are there any parallels to the way smartphones were adopted? I mean, you know, it seemed like uh, not many people had smartphones. The iPhone came out, and, you know, is there a killer sensor out there or, or that, that will be the tipping point for adoption? I don't think it's a killer sensor, but I do think that there's a role to play for major platforms like Google and Apple. So Google has been very public with Glass, and they've done a lot of things right in their lead-up to this product release that makes me optimistic that it could be different than some of the lackluster hardware launches they've had in the past, like Google TV um, or the first Android tablets or the first Chromebooks, all of which Google TV was a total failure, and the other two have really taken a long time to take off. So Google Glass could be different. But it could also be relegated to the sort of geeky niche that Bluetooth earpiece headsets are in today, where you do see people wearing them, um, but it's not a, a totally mass market product. Well, I, I, you know, I for one am really, really excited about Google Glass because uh, I think smartphones are barbaric. Uh, the reason why is because you have to hold them in your hand. So I hope that Google Glass can somehow give me my hands back. Google Glass may give you your hands back, but it may take away your friends. Um, in that, <laughs> um, I think the biggest challenge with, with Google Glass is the social norms surrounding it. So what is it like to be with a person who's wearing glass and you're not? Um, uh. You know, there's a power dynamic there that we haven't really worked through of, um, you know, it's bad enough when you're with your friends and or your family and they're looking at their phone, but if that's visible to you, you at least know what they're doing. If you're talking to someone who's wearing glass, you have no idea what they're looking at. Um, right. And that, that is going to be unnerving for uh, most people, I would say. Uh, so it's not, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't think of that. that. It's not just technology, but it's like social and cultural norms. And uh, I guess that's true with a, a lot of the the sensors. Yeah, well, the good thing is that we're starting to talk, as a culture, talk about this stuff now before the products go mainstream. And that's something we never did with smartphones. 
Um, they just, you know, I would say adoption with smartphones outpaced growth and evolution of our social IQ. And with devices like Google Glass, where at least, you know, the onion is making fun of it today, I think that's phenomenally important um, for <laughs> figuring out as a culture how we want to use these devices. Yeah, I heard there was a dive bar in Seattle that banned Google Glass. Yeah, and you know that's a, a marketing tactic, um, but but one that I I think again is important for moving the discussion forward in advance of people actually adopting the technology. Now, what about uh, what about businesses? You know, what about you know the the enterprises, the normal enterprise that we think of? I mean, certainly. You know, I can see the value to widespread sensor adoption by sort of the sensor makers, the Samsungs, the Apples, the Googles, the, the Cisco's. How far, I mean, wh- how should businesses uh, start to think about um, smart body, smart world? Well, that's a, a great question. And actually, my client inquiries in this space are primarily from companies that are not tech companies. So a large hmm. growth chain, for example, um, large health insurers. Uh, banks, financial services companies, all of these different companies are thinking about smart body, smart world in, in different ways. So for the health insurers, they're thinking about it on the, the product side and thinking about um, how could they use these devices to um, create better algorithms for pricing um, their, their policies, you know, get more accurate at, um, at, at, product, at policy pricing. They're also thinking about, um, depending on what kind of insurer they are, about creating a healthier workforce. So having something um, as part of their employer benefit programs um, to encourage workers to get more active and take better care of themselves. Um, obviously, a huge, um, huge interest in the in the hospital and, and healthcare space. So a lot of these devices on the consumer side relate to health and fitness, but on the healthcare side, that's a whole other um, in a whole other dimension where they're a lot farther along in, in thinking this stuff through than we are on the consumer side. Um, we're also thinking, seeing, um, you know, interest in how do we use these in in warehousing or in manufacturing. Um, there are a lot of different enterprise uses for these. And I would say overall, um, you know, even though we don't think about it as a collective trend, that smart body, smart world is, is happening faster on the enterprise or in, in certain verticals than it is on the consumer side. The military is, is one great example of, of where a lot of these technologies actually originate. Yeah, it's really it's it's really fascinating because as you're talking, I'm thinking about like ma- manufacturing plant. How you know uh, several years ago they're like basically smart manufacturing where they put sensors and controls in the factory, and it's really the same thing, but everywhere now. Yeah, and even even information workers, um, this this little pageant is touching. So there's a, a company in Boston called Sociometric. Solutions, and they um, they work with their customers to embed um, sensors. It's basically, it's basically like your key card badge that you wear for access in your building, mm-hmm. but it has um, it has uh, sensors in it that know your your location and your interaction with other people, and also has a microphone that can. I'm sorry, not a, a microphone, but a um, yeah, a microphone that that listens to your tone of voice 
how often and, and what sort of tonalities you're using when you're talking with different people. And they're using these sensors to understand patterns of productivity and collaboration in an office setting and then make recommendations to their clients about how um, how to engineer worker behavior to have a, a more productive and collaborative workforce. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. It, it seems like uh, there would be a lot of um, uh, privacy groups that might be concerned about collecting all this information, as there were for the web and, and so forth. But it doesn't, it doesn't seem like that would be uh, too much of a bottleneck here, given how much information people give up already on, on things like Facebook. Uh, do you see privacy as, as a factor here? Uh, absolutely. So, so in the in the workforce, like that that program I was just describing from Sociometric Solutions, that that would be opt-in, and a lot of these employer um, employee wellness programs, those are opt-in too, or they're incentivized in different ways. On the consumer side, it's stickier, and we absolutely see privacy at uh, our understanding of privacy at a crisis point right now, and that's only aggravated by even more by sensors and smartphones and smart body, smart world. So um, my, my colleague, uh, Fatima Katiblu, and I are working on uh, a new big idea report right now about contextual privacy, which is Forrester's vision of um, how privacy needs to be reconfigured in the age of, of sensors and smartphones. Mm -hmm. And what advice do you give to, you know, clients who, who ask, who ask about uh, smart body, smart world? Um, are, are you telling them to sort of anticipate it, design products now, or what, what is your words of wisdom for them? Well, it depends on, you know, what type of company they are and, and what, you know, where, where they fit in the ecosystem. Um, I mean, if they're on the hardware, consumer hardware side, um, you know, for example, I was talking to a, a maker of, um, of accessories uh, for, for consumer tech. I mean, this is absolutely going to be core to their product or the use mm -hmm. case in the future. Um, if you're talking about, um, if you're talking about a grocery chain, that's something that, you know, they might be thinking about in R&D labs and innovation for the future shopper experience, but it's probably not going to be something um, that is, you know, an immediate, has immediate impact. Um, however, you know, one of the things I would tell them to watch is Google Glass because if you read the tweet stream, hashtag if I had glass, which I rec recommend everyone doing mm -hmm. uh, if they have a spare 10 minutes, you see how many people want to wear these things to go grocery shopping mm -hmm. and, you know, to do sort of mundane tasks throughout their lives. And um, if Glass takes off, this could really be the next great platform for app developers, including every kind of company. Um, so it could be, you know, something like Pinterest plus Amazon plus Facebook plus iPhone all rolled into one mm -hmm. and, and could be enormously disruptive. Or it could be a total failure. So we'll see. Yep. <laughs> All right, Sarah Rotman Epps, thanks for joining Technopolitics. Thank you, Mike. You've been listening to the Forrester Technopolitics podcast. Read more about the technology fuel disruption and join the discussion at blogs.forrester.com.